0: To another episode of Memphis Hardwood, everyone. Oral history style, we are still wading through the Memphis Grizzlies' past as we seek to get really excited about our present. And honestly, I don't think I've ever been as excited about the present for the Grizzlies team. But part of the reason we're going back through and doing this oral history is many of us um, got turned on to the Grizzlies during the core four era, which is what we're doing now. But there was a history before that with, Je- with which Jeff Calkins and Chris Harrington helped us talk about and learn about. Uh, we started last week, the core four era oral history uh, with one John Roser from the Chris Vernon show. And we're going to continue that, uh, core for oral history today with the 2011, 2012 season. And we could not be more happy to have as our guest for today, Michael Sheffield, who is a previous friend of the podcast. Uh, so Michael, welcome back.
1: Thanks for having me. Man. I'm excited
0: in a good mood and
1: excited. It. <laughs> oh,
0: good. That's gonna be a good show then, man. We couldn't be happier to have you back in the uh in the mix. And as always, I'm joined by Marvin Stockwell. My brother, how are you today?
2: Man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Having a good, a good uh what still feels like a little bit the last gasp of summer, perhaps.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, but doubt. it's the fall,
2: you know. Yeah. Technically, it's the fall.
1: <laughs> yeah. See, you can ask you can ask Marvin. I said I was in a good mood, but he he might actually tell you that uh Grumpy Michael was <laughs> <is> very entertaining.
2: <laughs> Well, I like both varieties, but uh, no, no, it's all good either way.
0: take either one, man. We're just so glad to have Michael back here, y'all. And yes, we are slowly but surely creeping into the start of the season, but our hope is going to be to get this oral history wrapped up before that happens. So without further ado, y'all, we're going to talk about the 2011-2012 season. And just as a reminder to folks, this was the lockout shortened season of 66 games. Um, So this was when the players and the ownership were negotiating a new collective uh, basketball agreement, collective bargaining agreement, the CBA. Um, And so we didn't get a full 82 in the 2011, 2012 season and a couple of changes just to get us oriented before we start talking about the season and the playoffs, Gilbert Arenas comes on over into the team. Dante Cunningham joins many of us remember these guys and we'll get into a lot of these folks, Jeremy Pargo, I always I always like Jeremy Pargo, because if you were listening to the Chris Vernon show at that time, they always talked about Lionel Hollins dumpster of discarded point guards. And Jeremy <laughs> Pargo like, ends up in there because, of course, like Lionel won a championship with the Portland Blazers in 1978, the Trailblazers as the point guard. So he had a very high bar, probably part of the reason Mike Conley didn't play as much his first year as well. Um, and then, um, more importantly, some role players that came on that year. Many of us remember Quincy, Ponset, Quincy Pondexter. Coupon, uh, mm-hmm. Maurice Spates, and we'll talk a little bit more about Maurice once we get into this. Josh Selby. Many of us remember Josh Selby. Um, and and as we you know as we get into thinking about this season, there's a couple things that are important to remember. Um, Zach Randolph, who had been absolutely transcendent in the 2011 playoff series. Um, both against the Thunder and against the Spurs, he hurts his knee eight games into the season. And I remember exactly where I was when that happened. I was watching the game at the Young Avenue Deli. I don't remember why, but they just had this random regular season game on the overhead and Zebo goes down. And I mean, you could tell when he went down, he was hurt. Um, and that was, at that point, we really needed to figure out something at Power Forward. And that's when we brought in Mari Spates. Um, who ended up going going on to play for the championship Golden State Warriors and playing a big role on that team after he left the Grizzlies? Um, but do you remember that, Michael? Do you remember when Zebo went down early in the season?
1: Yeah, man. <laughs> I, oh man, <laughs> it hurt because you know we had just come off of the we had just come off of the previous season where you know beat the Spurs, we got first ever playoff victory. Um, First game, first series gave Oklahoma City, all they wanted. And so let me let me take a couple steps back because, you know, the lockout, let's talk about the lockout for a second. Yeah, for sure. It was one of those things where we were we were excited and then scared and then as the lockout went on, people started to go crazier and crazier. And I remember because I was with uh, the business, Memphis Business Journal at the time, and I was writing different uh, just web stories about the book, I mean, about the lockout saying, you know, we are going to screw this up, you know, (laughs) different things like this, we got to get this stuff together because the NFL was locked out as well that time. So it was the NFL. That's right. They started, so they canceled the preseason and just started the re- I think they started the regular season or maybe they squeezed in two preseason games. So you had the NFL locked out and they got their stuff together. And then you had the NBA that was locked out too. So people were losing their minds just because they thought they weren't gonna have football. First of all, and you know, the world would have ended if they didn't have football. And then to a, lesser, <laughs> and to a lesser extent, you know, the NBA, but Memphis fans were excited. About the Grizzlies, and then they weren't because we didn't have them. So when the lockout when the lockout ended, we found out we we're going to get a shorter season started on Christmas. Everybody, you know, the excitement came back, and then Zach gets hurt. Oh man, <laughs> and it's just and it's just it's like the first year that they made the playoffs with uh, with James Posey on the team, and then got wiped out. Um, so everybody's excited and they're saying, okay, yeah, we're a playoff team. And then it's gets like, hurt. And then it's just like, ah, it happens again, you know? Yeah. You know, guys get hurt. Guys, guys get hurt. They stay hurt. Can't come back. And they bring Spates in and nobody, nobody had heard of Spates. And there was like, who is this guy. And then it turns out that he could play. And so a little bit of optimism comes back, but you know, Zach had been, you know, when we first got Zach, since you had Calkins on, I don't know if you talked to him about it, just how down on Zach he was when he first when, when they first traded for him. He
2: sure was. Yeah. Um, that, and then and then Zach turned out to be what he
1: turned out to be. And everybody loved the guy. And mm-hmm. so in addition to him being you know, envision him being an, an integral part of the team. People loved him, so you. So it hurt. Mm-hmm. It hurt two ways. It hurt the team on the court, but it also hurt the community because people loved the guy. Yep. And at the time, the Grizzlies' injury history when guys got hurt, they never got right. So it became it's like, yeah, he might come back, but is he going to be right? And that was. I think that was I think that was the scarier thing. That was even scarier than the initial injury itself. It's like okay, the injury, yeah, that's bad, but is he going to come back? And I think mm-hmm. that's the thing that people were really, really
0: scared of: is he what kind of Zach are we going to get when he is back? Yeah, mm-hmm. man, you made some amazing points, Michael. Uh, just just to reiterate something that you said: underline the Grizzlies didn't start playing basketball. Nobody in the NBA started playing basketball till December twenty sixth. That year. Right. So, just to put that in perspective, like we're all getting geared up now. NFL just started, NBA is going to be starting here probably in about four or five weeks. Folks went the entire fall without their NFL and NBA. Right. And then, like you say, for the Grizzlies coming off that first playoff win, first playoff series, giving the Thunder all they could take and then you got to wait <laughs> like 3 or 4 extra months before you can even yeah. get out here and do it. Mm, mm. And then and then our guy goes down. So I mean, I feel like you captured that so beautifully, Michael, because that storyline, Zach Randolph going down, we're going to come back to that because you know, Zach ends up missing uh 54 games yeah. during that season. And 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 the game and the season was only 66 games. Right. And you know, not to, you know, not to uh you know throw a spoiler hint here at the outset but i think and we can talk about this more michael i think that affected the grizzlies playoff prospects that year
1: it did it 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 did but if you remember when well, i know we're jumping ahead if yeah. you remember we got a home court advantage for the first time in team history so but i think but i think no i don't think you're right it, it did because if he didn't get hurt as well as they played without him as well as they ended up doing without him yeah i imagine yeah. What they would have done with him yeah of the problem the, the thing that i hate about being a Grizzlies fan and love at the same time is that we have to imagine a lot because it's just like if, Jack, if Zach didn't get hurt that year imagine what would happen if my county and i know completely different completely different year completely yep so you know yeah. where i'm
2: going yeah, Mike, oh,
1: yeah. his face broke but what happened so, I mean, lot of imagination, if Ja didn't hurt his knee, what would have happened? Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. This year. We're in 2012, so.
0: Man, yeah. how many times we helped out the Warriors that way. Yeah. All right. Well, let's back it up just a little bit because the Grizzlies, you know, obviously Zebo going down game eight. Uh, again, remember that against the Derrick Rose-led Chicago Bulls. Really good team that year for the Bulls. That was for uh, D. Rose uh, got hurt. Um, they really started slow. They, ca- they came out to a three and six start. They started the season against San Antonio and the Thunder, which was kind of fun, right? For fans. Like let's, let's renew that rivalry. They lost both of those games. So league's
1: not, not going to do us any favor.
0: No. And so it's like, man, what is this looking like? Well, they, they ended up going on a win streak after that. Um, Then they, they lose to OKC in early January. And that's when they just, they're just going. Um, Those are my colleagues here. Those are our producers here in the studio. Um So after they after they go on that early losing streak, uh, they hit that win streak, then they go 10 and six. And then going into March, the Grizzlies are 32 and 15. And to your point, Michael, you know, a lot of us hadn't heard of Maurice Spate, but man, he comes in and he's honestly putting up Zebo numbers. He's crashing the boards, he's scoring the ball, he's got a nice little mid-range jumper, which remember, this is before the three-point shot had just dominated the league. So it was kind of amazing, right? That the Grizzlies ended up in that season going 41 and 25. So it seemed like at the beginning, like, man, this isn't going that well. So like when you're kind of thinking about that season, um, Michael, and you're, and you're looking at going into the playoffs, like what is your feeling about this team? Right. Did you, was it like, oh, that was a blip. We had some wins, but man, we're going to regress back to same old Grizzlies losing all the time. Or did you feel like, man, we actually are about to do something here
1: i thought we were gonna do something honestly and part of it was because and this is a testament to Hollins, and he didn't get he didn't get enough credit i mean you look at what the man dealt with roster wise over his complete tenure you know taking pieces out guys getting hurt um guys getting traded you know stuff coming guys coming in you know going out doing stuff like that um not much maligned uh medical squad we don't talk about it anymore um but, <laughs> But is a testament to Holland's that the team was able they was able to write the ship in a great space and go on the run that they did. Um, having said all that, I mean, like I said, first time home court advantage, we were running through guys. I mean, we were we were we were whooping people more or less. Um, and the beginning when, when we drew the Clippers, it was just it was just like bring it, bring it, bring it. We got it, we got it. Home, home court advantage. We're going to whoop these dudes. And then we're going to see what happens from there. And I'm going to stop because. yeah, <laughs> we're talk about yeah. Game well, one.
0: Cause, cause here's the uh-huh. deal about game one. I mean, okay. First of all, the Clippers, they, this is the first playoff series that the core four Grizzlies play against the Clippers. So many yeah. of us who've been fans since the start of the core four era we have this deep down indwelling hatred of the clippers. I mean, let's just
1: be honest, right? Like the series yeah. is why.
0: And so, but this, but yep. so going into the series, right? You're like, oh, they got this guy, Blake Griffin, like young guy, he can kind of leap, right? They got DeAndre Jordan, still relatively young. This guy, Chris Paul, right? This is before he was really like the point god, right? Had some success down in New Orleans. And like you say, they're coming to FedEx Forum. And we feel pretty confident because the Grizzlies had taken out the number one seed as an eight seed the previous season. So now it's like, oh, we have he- we have home court advantage for the first time. Michael, did you go to that game? Were you there for game one?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah <man. laughs> I was in every game then, man. Yeah. All right. So we're we, we going to back up a little bit. All right. Um, Blake Griffin, when he was in college – He did what he did. He played in the NCAA tournament here. Um, the sweet 16. I forgot that. Yeah. He played in the sweet 16 here when he was out of Oklahoma. Um I covered that for MBJ partner with Sporting News. I was there. I covered that game. So, of course, I for that when he when he played both both games here. One of the games he got up so high when he dunked the ball, he hit his head on the backboard. (laughs) Almost got a concussion. Um, so I knew about Blake Griffin, Chris Paul. I knew about Chris Paul from when he was at Wake Forest, and I was a fan when he was in New Orleans. Um, just because I mean he was just he's one of those dudes that at the time you rooted for. Um, he's he in New Orleans. They New Orleans had a nice little run. They gave they gave the Lakers a hard series, I think maybe the year before he left New Orleans. I mean, Lakers swept him, but they had to battle every single game. So it was just like Chris Paul is on the verge and if you remember when he left new orleans he was getting ready to go to lakers play with kobe and david stern next to trade which is why he ended up in which is why he ended up with the clippers wow i forgot that so he um so i said that to say this that he was there but he wasn't public enemy number one in memphis yet this series made him public enemy number one going back to game one i was there um, pumped up, hyped up, doing everything. I'm, I'm, you know, everybody it was insane. I mean, the crowd was insane. It was a Sunday, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we, I, I, I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't want to, I don't want to jump out of here. So go ahead, set the stage. I'm going to tell, yeah. tell you a story.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was there too. and And I think Michael, I think this was my first Grizzlies playoff game. Really? Um. Yeah, because I had gotten into the team in the 2011 season, like a lot of Memphians, um, and so when I had gone to some games that season, and I would end up getting season tickets the following yeah. season, um, but this was my first NBA playoff game, my first Grizzlies playoff game, and, and, you came and back. well, I know. <laughs> well, let me tell you. I mean, we'll get to it, right? But we got to spend a minute on this game because. I mean, I think this game was—I think this game is probably as consequential as any playoff game that the Grizzlies have played. Yeah. Um, again, not not saying it was a great game, because we'll you know we'll talk about what happened, but it was consequential. So coming in, everybody's amped. I remember the crowd. I was up in the—I was in the tier. I was in the terrace, and so uh, I was up there, and everybody up there is just going crazy, right? Like right. amazing, and the Grizzlies jump out to a 32 to 12 lead, up 20 points in the first quarter. And it felt like everything that we had been working for, a continuation of that success in the previous yep. year where we were this close to going to the Western Conference Finals, it just felt like, boom, we're picking right up where we left off. Yep. And, and e- even in the beginning of this, right, if you go back and look at the highlights, DeAndre Jordan and Maurice Spates are chirping at each other. They're getting chippy. They're battling, and listen. I mean, you remember this, Michael? Like, this was the, the NBA has changed a lot over the last thirty years. If you go back and watch these playoff games, you see guys battling in the paint in a way you don't really see today.
1: Yeah, I mean, that might have been the last. That might have been that. That maybe two or three year period might have been the last of seeing big men battle in the NBA. Because after that, you alluded to it earlier when you were talking about how three-pointer took over for big men and everybody falls in love with the three nobody wants to nobody wants to initiate take or give contact it that was the last of basketball that I grew up playing
3: yeah
1: (laughs) Spates reminded me a lot of of, reminded me a lot of James Edwards played for Detroit during their uh during their run because he had a nice little jumper um, but he ain't fall in love with it, and he would bang down low, he he beat you up. And DeAndre Jordan was he, he's he's a dunker, that's it. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 a, in my opinion, biggest waste of space because he's so tall, and all he wants to do is dunk the ball, which you know, he's a big man, so but he but outside of that, can't defend, can't shoot, can't hit free throw, can't he just can't? Yeah, <laughs> sure can. um. We get out to that lead, man, and at half, I will, never will forget this. Halftime, I text my wife and was like, hey, set the DVR, record inside the NBA because I want to see what Charles Barkley said about the Grizzlies. And go ahead. <laughs> 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 at halftime,
0: half it's still looking good. 58-39 Memphis. And, I mean, you're holding the Clippers to 39 points, and the Grizzlies, as we remember, would often win games with 92
1: points right so you run them out of the gym just like we're gonna beat these dudes by 40
0: right i mean everybody's on top of the world first time we've had home court advantage fedex forum fans are going nuts uh and mike conley was on fire that night he went five of five from three point land And that was just very uncommon. They're just the Grizzlies weren't shooting a lot of threes, and now we think about what Mike over in Utah and wherever he's going to land this year. He's he's an excellent three point shooter. Um, But at that time, Michael, he was. I mean, we weren't expecting that from him. So it's just like, man, these guys are just going nuts.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, It was. It was
1: kind of like I didn't mean cut you off. It was kind of like a culmination of every, like you said, everything that they had been building toward. At that point, this was the team that everybody thought we were going to see at the beginning of the season. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it was all coming together because, you know, they had that playoff experience under them. They weren't scared of anybody, and they were just clicking. Yeah. They were just clicking. It was just – it was probably the best half of basketball that they had played the entire season. Unfortunately, basketball games have two halves.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So in the third quarter with three minutes left to play, the Grizzlies were up by 27 points,
1: 84
0: to 57, three minutes left in the third quarter. And I mean, you know, folks are going to, if they're going to leave at all, they're going to get that last drink before they close off drinks in the fourth quarter. Like we're going to have a big tag. I get ready to go down to Beale street. And at the end of the third quarter, the Grizzlies are up 85 to 64. They're up 21 points. Um, And then, Michael, the fourth quarter happens.
1: If they had won that game, I'll say this. If they had won that game, nobody would have gone to work the next day. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody would have been in condition to go to work. The city just would have shut down. Yep. Nobody would have gone to work because nobody would have left early. Um, Like you said, everybody had gone to get their last drinks. I mean, Memphis would have – nothing would have been going on in Memphis the next day. all right
0: unfortunately the Clippers closed the game on a 40 to 12 run (laughs) and Nick Young I mean I remember this brother hitting three three three-pointers in one minute 19 points off the bench for Nick Young And I mean, the thing is the Grizzlies were were still making shots to some extent. Rudy Gay was hitting shots, Gilbert Arenas, Quincy Pondexter, OJ Mayo. And then at the after that first, really after that first like two to three minutes of the fourth quarter, the Grizzlies just couldn't buy a bucket. And Michael, I mean, so being in the terrace, I mean, you just start to feel shot by shot the energy just draining from from the room. And Um, I mean, it was Chris Paul icing two free throws. The first one to tie it up at 98, the second one to go ahead at 99. And then Rudy Gay had he had a shot at the end to make a 15 point jump shot. Good look. Just didn't go down. And the
1: Grizzlies lose.
0: (laughs) they, They end up losing this game.
1: Okay, so as the fourth quarter went on, you went from celebration, you know, everybody, you know, cooling the game, whatever. Uh I don't know if all we I, I don't know if all we do is win was out at the time of camera. <laughs> <right. laughs> I don't think it was. Um but we went from that to it doesn't matter we got it. It doesn't matter. We got it. What's going on? Oh no no oh shit <laughs> <laughs> We got a problem. We got it we got it it's it's okay it's okay it's okay. Are we losing? <laughs> yeah. Did we just lose the game? Yeah. People didn't believe it. There's nobody believed what they were seeing. There's like, there's no way this game is over. There's no way that we gave up this league. There's no way that they're up. There's no way. It was like, we're still going to win. Something's going to, something is going to happen. (laughs) We're going to win. this. I don't know what. Something is going to happen when we're going to win this game. And it did not happen. And at the end of the game, people just kind of stood there. It's what I imagine happened when Mario Chalmers three pointer in the NCAA championship game,
2: yeah,
1: and sent it to overtime. And it people, felt just
2: like that. Yeah, yeah it
1: was just because I was watching. I was watching that game at home. My wife and my father-in-law, so it was just three of us. But I imagine that's what happened in the rest of the city. That that's what it, that's what it was. Just nobody believed what happened, yeah. and they didn't boo. They didn't. They, oh. they were yelling. They just they were just there. They were just there. They just said, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Somebody tell me what to do. <laughs> and that yeah. that's how, that's how they gave in.
0: Yeah. It was shock. And I mean, the game started at 9 30 PM. So it was like late. So, you know, we're talking like, you know, midnight, 12, 15, and being at the top of the terrace, man, it takes a long ass time to get out of FedEx forum when yeah. you're in the terrace. And if it's a sellout and I'm pretty sure it was close to a sellout. if it wasn't a sellout, then I was, I mean, it probably took 20 minutes to, to leave. And so you're just with all these Grizzlies faithful and every single one of you is in absolute shock about what happened. Yeah. And I mean, just to put, I just want to put this in perspective. The Grizzlies had 95 points. With nine minutes and thirteen seconds left in the fourth quarter, they had ninety-five points. They ended up scoring for the game ninety-eight points. It's, they
1: scored. Go ahead.
0: When, when does that ever happen in the NBA? Period.
1: <laughs> it it probably doesn't. You can probably count on the number on one hand the amount of times that that has happened in NBA history. This ain't the only time it's happened, but it's probably pretty close. But what i'll say about that game and that series overall and it was kind of the story of the grizzlies until recently is that they had guys who could do things they had guys who were really good at what they did they never had a guy who who can get you a basket if you need it they can get guys that can get you baskets and they had guys who could get to who could score at will, but if you needed it, and that's the difference. Yeah. That's what sets guy. That's what sets, a, say, a Kobe Bryant ahead of a of a Rudy Gay, or yeah. that's what sets a Chris Paul ahead of a Mike Conley. And I love Mike Conley, um, but oh, yeah. Chris Paul is going to find a way to to get a basket for himself or for somebody else. Yeah. And that's that, the difference. That was the thing that the Grizzlies were missing. And that's yeah. the thing that they, they have never had. Yeah. Until now.
0: <laughs> Until now I was going to say, there's a guy yeah. by the name of uh, Ja Morant, who I think he ticks that box for us now.
2: Yeah, Desmond Bain, too. Man. We got two of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Desmond Bain could get a bucket. Um, And so, to, to keep it kind of – so, coming out of that game one, I mean – just and we'll talk about the rest of the series here, but the Grizzlies, I, I don't know, like what the uh, do you remember what the feeling was, Michael, coming out of that game one and then trying to get up for game two? Was it like, oh, man, everything, this is going to mush. Like, we're going to get back on the horse. Like, what What was your feeling coming out of that game?
1: I thought I was going to win game two, honestly, just because you don't do what they did. You don't lose the way that they lost. And, and just I me. Mean, Either the wheels fall off or you bounce back, and they just with what they had dealt with during the during the season, it was just like there's, they're going they're going to win. They have to, um, yeah. and once again, have faith in Hollins because Hollins is the kind of guy that once it's over, it's over. He's not going to dwell on it. He's not going to let them dwell on it. He's going to have them ready to play. And if you ask him, and if you ask him about it, the next day he's probably going to cuss you out. Yeah, <laughs> like which he, which I witnessed him cuss Jarvis uh, quite a mi- quite a few times over the years, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I I thought I thought they were gonna win game two. I yeah. thought they were gonna win a series. I was like, man, this is this is nothing. We don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah, the radar. I never did watch Inside the NBA that night though. I was just when oh. I got home, I deleted it. <laughs> I don't think I watched any sports TV until game two. Matter of
2: yeah. fact, I understand <laughs> that.
0: 100 percent because you know when charles is talking good about your team man, you love it and i think he does have a soft spot for the grizzlies but yeah. but uh but man when he's not talking good about your team you don't want to hear that
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah he'll set you on fire so the and so like you <laughs> point out michael like the grizzlies they do win a uh, game two again grizzlies had home court advantage so they're still at fedex forum um and and honestly that's when you really started to see the Zebo versus Blake Griffin battles. Mm-hmm. And these guys are just absolutely pushing and shoving down under the basket, trying to get it, trying to get an inch's worth, an inch worth of advantage to get yeah. a rebound, whatever it was. Cause you know, we, we came up with the nomenclature Z bound for a reason. I mean, right. Zach, Zach Randolph wanted to get those soft hands on that basketball and, and put it back in. And so you start to see him battling with Blake Griffin, it was a little tight at the half, Memphis up 49, 47, um, you know, 55, 50. It's, uh, it, it's, it's it's a little close. And this is what I'm going to say. I don't know how you felt after game one, Michael, but I left game one feeling like I saw too much O.J. Mayo. And then going into game two, he has 10 points in the fourth quarter, and really he was the guy who iced the game for the Grizzlies.
1: Yeah. Now, OJ O.J. was always interesting. Because he was that dude who, one, came into the league with way too much hype. Um, and that was, a lot of it was a, of his own doing. But, well, not really his own doing. It was, but, I mean, he 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 didn't help himself. Um, then, you know, Tony punched him in the face that, you know. <laughs> you know cars I mean. on the plane. Um, but OJ was always interesting because I think a lot of times just like you, you joked about the the point guard scrap heat that that Hollins had.
3: Yeah.
1: It, it seemed like as much as Hollins helped OJ, he also hurt OJ. And, was, and OJ was always I mean he'd have he'd have 20 points one night and then you'd forget he was on the team for the next three or four games.
3: Yeah.
1: And but he stepped up. He stepped up. So I won't I won't say that I don't I won't say that there was too much OJ. But it, you know, he just he 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 wasn't quite that guy. No, but but he gave he but he gave it an effort and and um like you said he scored he scored ten points in the fourth quarter. So I mean he he was, yeah. he was there. He 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 did what he had to do. Um, yeah, I'm rambling. So let me shut up.
0: No, no. I mean, it's amazing. He had an incredible rookie year, and I mean, he yeah. was. I mean, and and remember, for a team that was so starved for three-point shooting as well, I mean, we felt like he was one of our more reliable three-point threats. And I just, you know, after that first game, I was like, man, I got to hang the blame somewhere. But, boy, he comes through in game two, and I really think he won that game for us. And so, to me, that was sort of a redemption story. And I think it's just hard playing for Lionel, man. I mean, you just talk about a hard coach, man. I mean – and, and Lionel, I mean, gosh, but he winning his coach in Grizzlies history. But, you know, I think he I think he was hard on those guys. I think it's part of what brought this team into having a winning phase. I think it's exactly what the team needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right. I think he was hard on OJ. He was hard on other guys. And one guy who shows up in this this game three. Remember, um, Rudy Gay was hurt during the 2011 playoff run. Mm-hmm. And that led a lot of people – you probably remember this, Michael. A lot of people were questioning Rudy's role out loud after that and being oh, like, yeah, well, dang, yeah. we we went so far without Rudy. Uh, I remember yeah. Sam Young yeah. was playing for Rudy mm-hmm. Gay. And, man, we gave, like you say, the thunder, everything that they uh, wanted and more. Right. But in game three, Rudy Gay shows up big time. And, uh, I mean, you you kind of love to see it. It was back in L.A. So now the, the Clippers have got – they've retaken home court advantage, right? Mm -hmm. Um, they're up by four at the half and, Mm -hmm. you know, Grizzlies fans feeling a little bit nervous about this. Um, Grizzlies pull up 77, 71 with eight minutes to go. Then Reggie Evans and Randy Foy are doing them thing. CP3 man doing his thing. He puts the Clippers up 82, 80 going down the stretch. And then Rudy Gay, he hits a late three pointer with the Grizzlies down three. He hits another three with the Grizzlies late. To give the Grizzlies a one-point lead, he goes for twenty-four that night. Um, they put the ball in his hands, Michael, for that last shot for another three, and he can't pull it off. And, and the that, Grizzlies, the Grizzlies lose by one.
1: And that, in a nutshell, is the career of Rudy Gay. I mean, he. He was he's he he was always right there. He was always one point short. He was always one basket short of being everything. And I and I was I was a fan of his, but it's like I said, there's just something that separates the good the good ones from the great ones. He's a good one. He's a really good one, but he wasn't a great one, and he was never gonna be a great one. Um, but going back to what you said about the previous season when they when they won without him. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> just, mm-hmm. um, yep. We're kind of dealing with that now sometimes, but it's but it's a different story because Rudy was, Rudy was a good one, but he's not a great one. Um,
0: but Michael, so let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. When you talk about that with Rudy. Like, okay, my feeling at that time, and I mean, let's, again, we're trying to do the oral history. So let's go back in yeah. time. A lot of stuff happened after this. So we ain't going to go oh, there yet. But great. at this time, Rudy Gay has a great game, right? Um, looks like he's really trying to put the Grizzlies on his back. Was there a feeling that Rudy could be our go-to player at that time before Mike and, and Mark and Zebo? Mm-hmm. because I'm just remembering, I feel like at that time that there were the hopes were still very high that like Rudy was the guy you put the ball in his hands. Um, and I mean, granted Zebo had had all these heroics in 2011, right. right. But, but what is your, what is your remembrance of that moment in Rudy?
1: I think the, that- Zach had become Zach had become the dude the year before when he hit that what was it game game six when he had the yeah. shot in game six against the Spurs oh yeah Zach Zach was the dude and Rudy I think at the beginning people were excited about Rudy because I think you remember his rookie year Yeah, maybe his rookie year in the first game he hit a I think he won the game and I remember leaving the game with my father-in-law it's like, cause pal was still on the team. And I said that uh, it's Rudy Gay's team. Now mm. It's like, it ain't pal's team no more. It's Rudy Gay's team. Um, <clears throat> and fast forward to now um, where I'm saying that Zach became the dude the year before, cause he won his playoff series. He won his playoff series. So Zach is the dude period. Yeah. Um, Rudy, Rudy turned out to be a good player. And he never became great, but he was good. He was really good. Like I said, like I said earlier, um, and I was, and it was just something. If, if he had done something to win game one, then I think it would have been, okay, we got, we got something with this guy, but, and I'm not, I'm not blaming game one on him, but it's just different. It's just those little things that you see in a player that makes you say this guy is great versus versus just he's good yeah and you, you know it when you see it and i think that's the issue that Hollins had as a coach is that he's one of those people that i know it when i see it i can't explain it to you but i know it when i see it you know it when you see it and that that coincided with the rise of analytics and stats and things like that oh yeah it's one of those it's one of those i know it when i see it sort of things and you never saw it with rudy yeah
0: well and i remember too like and you know just uh just to put out there a little bit like uh this was rudy gay's last season with the grizzlies and this was his last playoff series with the grizzlies and we can unpack that a little when we get to the end but like you say, uh, Coach Hollins, you know, um, Chris Wallace, they made a choice. And I remember very clearly when Rudy Gay was traded and I, and I got the the updates from Toronto. And I remember being I remember being mad, big mad about it. And so it's complex. Right. But like you say, like he had this game in game three. It's like, man, but he didn't get us over the line. He couldn't quite, you know, he kind of blew it at the cup a little bit. Had some good late game heroics, but it's like, man. Um, and so the Grizzlies are down two to one and they're out mm-hmm. in LA at this point. Mm-hmm. And all the points all the games up to this point in this playoff series have been, de- been determined by a total of nine points. This is a really closely it's contested crazy. series. at game four in LA was an overtime thriller. I mean this game was just this game was just amazing. The Clippers were up with 10 uh, by 10 with five minutes to go. And, that, and back in this day, man, you remember how hard it was for the Grizzlies to get a point? I remember being like, oh, my God, just just get a bucket. So I remember thinking, and, and Pete Pranica used to kind of narrate this, if the Grizzlies were down by more than double digits with seven minutes to go, we almost never won. Right. So with the Grizzlies being down 10 with five minutes to go, you're thinking, man, this ain't going to look good. But right. The Grizzlies battle back, tie the game at 85, uh, game goes to overtime at 87, and then Blake Griffin is just a monster, man. Yeah. he he just keeps going hard to the rim, getting fouled and getting the bucket. He gets yeah. multiple and ones. Uh Mo Williams seals this game up with free throws and the Grizzlies lose a heartbreaker in LA, 101 to 97. Uh Blake Griffin has 30 points. Uh coming back to Memphis down 3-1, Michael.
1: That was probably when I started hating Blake Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, because if I remember correctly, a few of those calls were bad calls or they yeah. could have gone either way, but yep. we, don't to, we don't have to take them in front of us. So, but that was when, I mean, the Grizzlies have never gotten calls, never gotten calls. And the Clippers
2: were, were floppers. Right. Yeah.
1: So that was the beginning of the flopper. That was the beginning of the hatred of Blake Griffin. And that was a continuation of the Grizzlies never getting calls. Yeah, yep. So it was just. And so you go back to over but league hates us. The league hates us. So it's, you know, they don't want us to win. They don't want us to win. But I think that helped because everybody was able and everybody's able to rally. Everybody's able to say it's us against the world. And for whatever reason, no matter how true it actually was, it helped. Oh man. It it, it It got us over the hump. But, it, and it always it always seemed to be that way. Once, once, um, once we realize, hey, you know, everybody's against us, let's let's start kicking everybody's ass. Yeah, you know that that's when they rise up. Look out!
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I do feel like this is kind of that moment where the grizz the Grizzlies versus everybody kind of thing really starts to take root because. That overtime game was just a heartbreaker to lose. I mean, the Grizzlies fought so hard. And like you say, a couple calls went the wrong way. You know, we notoriously start calling them the Los Angeles floppers. Um, and by the way, the Clippers had had very little success up to this point in the NBA. I I don't have the stats in front of me, but you may remember, Michael, this was only like the first or second time they'd been to the playoffs in in a decade.
3: Um,
0: so, and it's like, man, what is, and so it just felt like, oh, well, because they're from LA, they're just going to get better treatment than, you know, us down here in Memphis. And it just fed into this narrative. And so the Grizzlies coming back home down three, one, and man, when, when I look back on this game and think about it and look at some of the tape, honestly, I just feel like the Grizzlies had so much pride coming into this game. They're like, we're not going to have a gentleman suite with home court advantage. Right. Um, and this is another game where you want to go watch Zebo and Blake Griffin wrestle. I mean, right. they were just going right. so hard. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, the thing about Blake Griffin is that he, you know, you won a duck contest that year for jumping on a car and jump over the cars. car. Let's get that out of the way. He jumped on a car, he didn't jump over it. I right. can't do it, but he didn't jump over a car. If you jump over the car, it means you land on the other side. He just right. jumped on a car. All right. So let's get that out of that. Now that we got that. All right. So he won a he won a dunk contest. He was getting these commercials. He had I don't remember, man, but I think he had a T Mobile commercial where he dunked the ball and then held up the phone or something stupid like that. But he was he he was the darling of the league because you know he was gonna be, he was gonna be the next one. And speaking of Rudy, if I'm gonna trash Rudy, even though I didn't really trash him, I'm gonna trash Blake Griffin too. Blake Griffin was another one of those dudes that was really good, but he never became great.
0: Yeah, well put. And
1: so. And and part of his part of his issue was injuries, but he's also one of those dudes that once you took his athleticism away from him, he ain't it. Yeah. And yeah. So so I'm so I'm an equal opportunity trashing, even though, like I said, I ain't technically trash. <laughs> <laughs> I tru-
0: mean, you but- said something though about that that game four in LA. I mean, <clears throat> that was when you really started to just watch him like fall down. And, and yeah. he's like, I can't remember what six ten, like two like, oh, eighty yeah. or
1: something. He's a big boy. <laughs> Dude is a, he's dude a big is boy. A, he looked, look like he looks like an NFL linebacker. Yeah. Because, like I said, I remember, um, I covered the tournament, so we were, we would, and we interviewed all those guys one, one on one. And he's,
3: he's huge.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he, like I said, he looked like a linebacker. And I mean, big, big calves and everything. Just he's, he's a huge, dude. And it's like there's no way a dude this big, this muscular, is just gonna fall over. Yeah. And I said, I went, I, I grew up, we talked about this before, I grew up on the NBA where no layups. Guys would fight, fight, fist fight. Oh, it's just a foul. Get back out there. You know, that, that sort of thing. Nobody got thrown out. There was no blood or if a guy was still conscious, nobody got thrown out. Yeah. Um. So to see guys flop like that, yeah. I mean, especially because Griffin did it, DeAndre Jordan did it, And she's like, he's really just a guy like this yeah and that was i also if you notice i wish we had i wish we had tape because you could see chris paul chris paul does this thing when when he drives to the basket he always jerks his head back
0: oh totally
1: does it so and nine times out of ten refs won't call it it's like he just automatically jerks his head back even if nobody's around him like he's trying to he's trying to draw a foul, and he did and he would do that he did he did that a lot in that series. So, like you said, that was the beginning, that was the genesis of the flopper's reputation, 100 100 percent And by the
0: by the by, James Harden does the same thing, except he, he points his beard, he'll he'll do the beard thing, like the beard pops up. And yeah, he's like you know what I mean. And those guys, I mean, they're they're greats, they're all-time greats, and they're gonna yeah. get to the I mean James Harden shot more free throws one year, like then some ridiculous statistic. But yeah, there was a lot of flopping in that series, man, and the grizzlies. I mean, I think that's partially where this lore of we don't bluff comes from either uh, as right. well. I mean, and I can't remember if it was in this series. We'll have to look it up or if it came later. I'm pretty sure it came from. Uh, oh, was that where where Zach Randolph told Kendricks Perkins? He Kendricks Perkins, he would beat his ass.
1: Perkins that, played for, he played for the Thunder The Thunder. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think
0: it was maybe the next
1: year. I think it was the next year.
0: Nevertheless, yeah. we're we're talking about the spirit of the Grizzlies, this team. Mm-hmm. And they did not hold cotton. They were not, they were not floppers. They, you, the, the, these guys just didn't do that. And so these guys out of LA seem like they're winning a couple of games, you know, with this kind of flopping thing, but Grizzlies <laughs> too much pride to get swept, um, you know, at home. So they're going to push this thing to game six. They're going out to LA Memphis is down three to two. Um, and again, this is one where I'm like, man, Rudy Gay kind of showing out right in this game. Um, Tony Allen had a tomahawk dunk
3: in this game six. How often do we see
0: that, man? It's like, Tony, go for it, man. Um, but the Grizzlies, they're tied at 60 in the third quarter. Eric Bledsoe, man. I remember this so vividly, man. He just, he just was on automatic, gets the clips up by eight with eight minutes to go. Um, but the Grizzlies battle back in this one. And this was probably Zebo's best game of the series Um ends up with 18 points, 16 rebounds. And Michael, that's what that's what I was saying earlier. If you go back and take a look at this series, Zebo was not nearly the same force in this series that he had been. Because basically, man, against the Spurs and the Thunder, he was basically unstoppable. I mean, they did not have an answer for him. So how do we and we'll get to game seven in a minute, but how do we make sense of that, man? I just have to think his he wasn't in rhythm coming out of the regular season. But
1: what do you think? uh, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna answer your question, I'm gonna tell you a story. And okay. then hopefully the story will lead into game seven. Yeah. Um Zach, if he was healthy, the one at series and five. Period. Just period. Because like you said, Spurs didn't have an answer for him. OKC didn't really have an answer for him. I mean, he just, you know, like it would it became his team. Yep. And he gave. I mean, he did. What, he did what he could do. Come off an knee injury. Come on. So he just period. But you. But you're absolutely right that he wasn't. That he did. That he wasn't all there. But him not being all there and the game still going, the series still going to seven games, tells you everything you need to know. And yeah, it also speaks to his greatness. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So now I'm gonna tell your story. <laughs> yeah. Indulge me for a second. Oh yeah. All right. So game six. I was in Atlanta because my wife, a friend of my wife's, was getting married the day before game seven. So we, in game seven, started at noon (laughs) that Sunday. So we get to Atlanta that Friday night, me and my wife's, who's now brother-in-law, are watching the game. My wife and her sister in the room thinking that the Grizzlies are going to lose. And we had an understanding that if the Grizzlies won, I needed to be back in Memphis to go to game seven.
0: Which was going to be in
1: Memphis. Yeah. So we had an understanding. The wedding, game, game six was on Friday. Wedding was on Saturday. Game seven was on Sunday at noon, Atlanta. Five-hour drive. All right. So we – so Grizzlies win game six. Don't wife Got to be back in Memphis. The wedding was – I think – Start six, six o'clock. Six o'clock the next night. I told Mark, hey, gotta be back in Memphis. Gotta be back in Memphis. Gotta be back in Memphis. So the whole time we're at the wedding, I'm just looking at what gotta be back in Memphis. Um <laughs> so <laughs> so you know, go to a wedding, go to a reception, very nice wedding, very nice reception. They're divorced now, by the way. Um so we, <laughs> we <laughs> <drive>. <laughs> had to get up at five o'clock in the morning. It's raining in Atlanta. I'm not driving because that was the other thing. It's like, you have to drive me back and I have to be back in time for game six, game seven at noon. We get back to Memphis at 10.30 in the morning. Um, I've had maybe three hours of sleep. My wife drove us all the way back to a rainstorm. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah, we got there. She drops me off at the game. Now let's
2: go. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that's a great backstory. I love it. It is. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. So Grizzlies. But that's
2: dedication. That no is dedica- fan dedication. Fan <laughs> dedication.
0: I mean, it's yeah. a big, this is a big game. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big,
1: biggest one in franchise history. To,
0: yeah. that to, to that point, this was the biggest game in franchise history. Yep. Grizzlies bringing it back home for game seven, you know, hard fought home court advantage as a number four seed going into this series. Um, had really been, a, a, I'd say, an extremely exciting series. I mean, right. the overtime game, I mean, most of these games decided very closely. You see that budding um, rivalry, particularly between Blake Griffin, right. and Zach Randolph, and, of course, right. they would be seeing each other a little later. And right. also, I'd say Chris Paul and Tony Allen as well. Right. Um, yep. And so this this is a huge game for the Memphis Grizzlies. And in the first quarter – I mean, it was just it was just laconic. I mean, the, the both teams shot 27-28% in the first quarter. It was 16-13 <clears throat> LA. <laughs> and part of the reason I mentioned that is because if you hear guys talk about this a lot, most guys don't like playing in the middle of the day in the NBA. <clears throat> these, these guys are routine guys, they do the same thing every day. They have a game and they usually play at seven o'clock, right? And or six o'clock, whatever it is. <clears throat> and so you just see both teams coming out of the gate not playing well at all, just missing everything. Um, But then LA goes on a little bit of a run and they get up 10 with four minutes left in the second quarter Mm -hmm. and start to get worried. But Memphis gets within one point at the half. And so, you know, you're thinking, okay, this is going to be another, you know, tightly contested game. They go up one in the third quarter, man, Memphis pulling out, maybe they're going to do this. And then the fourth quarter comes along and the Clippers bench just played better than they had played all year long. Yeah. And Nick Young, Kenyon Martin, Mo Williams, Eric Bledsoe, it it wasn't Blake Griffin and CP three, it right. was these guys off the bench and especially Eric Bledsoe and Mo Williams just lighting the Grizzlies up, man.
1: Right, and that and that was the difference. That was that was the difference in the series because, like you said, everybody hates to play. In the middle of the day of course in the playoffs it happens <laughs> so there's no excuse you get paid you get paid to show up for work whenever you got to show up for work so it's not an excuse but you're right they got the routine they played game six them, they flew back from la and so yeah so i mean they were in the nature of the series both teams were exhausted yeah. so it's one of those deals where you need your bench your bench has to show up because your starters are wiped out and they're going to give you what they can give you. But that's when game sevens are usually when a guy that you never heard of steps up or a guy that you're not expecting to do anything, does something. Great point. Um, it's just, that's, that's just the nature of the beast because they're, because they're so draining and because there've been so many fights and I mean, not, not fights, but you know, fighting. to, fighting to Sure. Him um and so somebody somebody other than the regulars have to has to step up just because just because it's you know it's all hands on deck there is no tomorrow so if you're going to do something that you were never going to that you've never done before this is the time to do it and it didn't happen for the grizzlies the, the, it happened for the clippers it didn't happen for the grizzlies and it by the end of it i wouldn't i I wasn't even mad. It was just, it's just kind of, I mean, that was the move. If you could if, if sum it up. that's Right. Up.
0: <laughs> Man, I know that's right. I mean, to your point in the fourth quarter for the Clippers, Kenyon Martin, seven points, Mo Williams, three, Nick Young, nine, Eric Bledsoe, six. Only right. starter who scored was Chris Paul. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so they just, they ended up, you know, they just ended up pulling it out. Um, yeah. So I mean, just like you say, that game seven, everybody was exhausted. Both teams kind of coming in with equal circumstances. But I remember right. just watching Hamed Haddadi out there and <laughs> just thinking, man, the game is too close. Yeah. But yeah. you gotta yeah. you you gotta rely on Hamed, man, in those situations. Yeah. Quincy Pondexter trying to do his thing, but yeah. um Grizzlies couldn't pull it out, Michael. Um, yeah, it was
1: like if, if Quincy Pondexter had 15 points and another bench guy had 10 points, you don't want.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) No question. But I mean, the Grizzlies were outscored. I mean, the Grizzlies bench in that fourth quarter, OJ Mayo, one point coupon, one point Dante Cunningham, two points. And that's it. That was all the the Grizzlies bench had. Yikes. Um, (laughs) You're not going to win many games like that, especially not big games. And, and I mean, that's something kind of as we now transition and think a little bit, you know, about the Grizzlies now, I mean, the Grizzlies bench is one of the best in the league. And so, it's been amazing to see that shift around because honestly during the core four era, Michael, we didn't really have a lot of supporting guys.
1: No, it was, it was guys that it was were guys that they brought in that you never heard of, or that you would have been excited to have on your team 10 years ago. And <laughs> right. And, and Vince Carter, cause he doesn't, cause he doesn't fall into that category. Um Vince, I mean, I mean, Vince is one of my favorite players. So I will never speak ill of Vince. Absolutely, sure. Perish the thought. Yeah. But that, is but that's what they had and that was the that was the difference between the grizzlies being a really good team that could threaten to make deep playoff runs and becoming a great team that's going to make it to the western conference finals and win some games or upset somebody and make it to the nba finals one year that that's that that was the difference right there because there was always. There was always something missing. Yeah. I mean, as great as those teams were um, and as good a year as that team had under the circumstances that they had it, that was, that was, there was always something missing. Yeah.
0: Well, and going into the next year, um, you know, Lionel Hollins would famously make the comment after they traded Rudy Gay. And you know where I'm going with this, Michael. Yeah. He was like, you got champagne taste on a beer budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, I think that speaks to your, your point that he didn't feel that the Grizzlies were willing to go after who they needed to. And honestly contrast that right now, right. With what <coughs> you're hearing from our front office, you know, right. at the moment where basically, um, you know, you hear Zach Kleinman saying we're not going to have any problem paying anybody that we want to pay. Mm. I mean, he says that every time he gets in front of a microphone. So that really goes to your point about Lionel Hans coaching. Um, and Marv, yeah, what what you, what's on your mind? Oh,
2: I was just going to say, no, that's exactly right. That is the difference. Uh, but, um, so yes, we, we're willing this, we're, we're willing to pay a a good bit, but at the same time, they've wed that to the the current front office has wed that to the practicality of using the draft effectively and bringing players along and being patient. So, you know, the fact that we're in the enviable position to kind of like, you know, think, our team's good. You know, even when other people who aren't following uh, the Grizzlies as closely as we are here in Memphis are, are saying, oh man, they need to make this big, you know, haymaker punch of a, of, of a move. Our front office is like, nah, no, nah, I think we're good. And then you have that confidence also stemming from John ja Morant saying, we've got everything in, that we need to win a championship. That's just a, a sea change difference of, of fan expectation and, and player uh, and organizational confidence.
1: Yeah. And adding, adding to what Marvin said is that at the time, I mean, in addition to paying, being willing to pay guys, you got to be, you got to know who to pay. And it was, I mean, I think the thing that I will remember previous ownership for the most is Rudy gave one sixty five million. 65 million. Okay. He gave 165 million. We're gonna give you 84 million, not a penny less. And uh, (laughs) that's what they did. And they ended up trading them. Um they they gave Mike, they gave Mike and Mark the contracts that they gave them.
3: Yeah.
1: And they ended up trading them because they couldn't afford them. So it's like they gave John Jaron contracts. So are they gonna end up trading them? Or are they going to end up giving them another contract? So yes, we've we've done way better now than we did in the past with the draft and signing guys. I mean, I don't the less said about the Brian Cardinal years, the better. Um, but now we have to see what 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 happens going forward. Because I think people were afraid Mark was gonna leave and they gave him a big contract and yeah. trade him because they didn't have any money. Um, people thought Mike was gonna leave and gave him a big contract. So yeah. nobody thought Jives going anywhere. Jive's got his big contract and could get a bigger one in five years. Um Jaron has a big contract and a broken foot. Um <laughs> Um, what are we going to, what are we going to pay Desmond? know, are we going to pay Dylan Brooks? Are we going to flip Dylan Brooks into a couple other things? What, what's going to happen? And that's going to be the true test for this front office. Yes. They've done well in the draft. Um, but the true test is, can you keep it together? If you can't keep it together, can you make up for the pieces that you're about to lose? And can you let the correct pieces walk away? Yeah. 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 Right.
0: That's going to be the challenge for the Grizzlies. I mean, going forward and everybody, (laughs) exactly. I mean, every team is having to kind of make the same choices. So Michael, when we think back about that 2012 playoff series, you know, just to kind of put a, a bow on this piece of it, what do you think the legacy of that, that 2012 series is for, for fans, for the franchise? You know, when you think about that, what's the legacy of that 2012 series against the Clippers?
1: I mean, it was it was like it or not, the beginning of arguably the most successful two or three years in team history because we know what happened the next couple. We know what happened the next few years. Um, It was also the beginning of of the Grizzlies having their first true rival in the Clippers. Um, Yep, and I think it was the year that the team. Even though they had been here for eleven years, that was the year that the team and and the success and the success of the previous year when they beat the Spurs. That was the year that this became Memphis's team. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they beat the Spurs, and everybody was everybody was all excited, but nobody expected that to happen. No, (laughs) so everybody was just everybody was just ecstatic. They were happy to be there. Yeah, the fans did I think the fans did their first wait till next year <laughs> after that series and it truly and it truly became it truly became Memphis's team because they hadn't the fans had their hearts ripped out yeah man, and instead of you know instead of scattering to the winds they out and the fans rallied and came back stronger and so there's so that that to me was that that's i think that's the legacy of that series had their first true rival and then and that became memphis's team because it's easy for everybody to it's easy for everybody to claim a team that's winning that's why you have so many laker fans um yeah. but, <laughs> you know, but what do you but to claim a team that should have won and didn't win yeah. but fought as hard as they fought yeah that's you know that's that that's true fandom. Yeah, Yeah.
0: blue-collar team, blue-collar town. And, uh, yeah, I really feel like that was the start of something. Of course, going into the next year, just to presage our next uh, oral history podcast, Grizzlies would have the most successful year in franchise history. So you're right, you know, that you're sort of on that doorstep, right? And I would be remiss if I didn't share that the Los Angeles Clippers went on to face the Spurs and the Semis and got swept 0-4. (laughs) So always makes you think, man, what if – <laughs> right especially yeah. that overtime game man just what if a couple more shots had fallen to right. say nothing of that game one game right it's like oh man and <clears throat> that's a, that's a point you made at the top michael just like you have to ask all those what if questions about mm-hmm. the
1: yeah i mean and, and it's fun but it's frustrating at the same time because mm-hmm. I mean, you could have done it this year too would have did and hurt his knee um you know so but it, that but that that's the nature of sports that's, that's how it is yeah. There's only there's only one team in every league that's going to be happy at the end of the season. Yeah, you know, it's, and and that's the team that wins it all. So everybody it. else is going to be playing. What if? So, yeah. we, oh, man, man. we ain't the only ones. I mean, we've had we've had some chances. We've blown some chances. We've had great opportunities. We've blown those too. Mm. You know, it's, it, it's 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 part of sports. Yeah,
2: yeah man, that's that what makes it so elusive to actually. Punch through and win. That's what makes right. it so satisfying. Right, right.
0: Yeah,
3: we're gonna get
2: there, <laughs> <laughs> Michael. We are gonna we're gonna absolutely get
0: you back here in the uh, Memphis Hardwood Studio before the season starts, and uh, right. we'll do a little uh, roster preview with you. We're sure. also gonna be doing a live event. Marv, can we make an official announcement about our upcoming live event?
2: Yeah, October first, we're gonna be at Memphis Made Brewing here in Memphis. Uh, with uh, at six o'clock, we're gonna have a live audience. Uh, podcast recording that people can come and interact with uh, and then we're going to watch the game afterward It'll, it's I'm sorry it's it's the very first October 1st it's the first uh, preseason uh, game of the season
0: yeah we'll be taking on the Bucks. Grizzlies will be in Milwaukee so we'll be having a good time at Memphis May Brewing with our uh, good friend Andy Ashby and hopefully Michael if uh, you're free you can stop by for a few minutes and jump on the live pod with us
1: if you want me there I'll be there Oh, we right. want
0: you there, man. All, yeah, we'll get right. the invite out. Michael Sheffield, y'all, uh, former reporter in the city of Memphis, doing some good work uh, now with uh, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Michael, it has been such a pleasure, man, having you on the show.
1: Thanks, man. I always enjoy. I always enjoy, you uh, especially being listening to me ramble. So thanks. Oh, <laughs> it's good man. rambling.
0: It is. You got good stories, man. Some great thoughts about the team and we will pick it back up with you at the live show. And thanks to everybody for tuning in today on this next installment of our Grizzlies oral history. Uh, we're going to be working pretty hard to get Kevin light in here to talk about the 2012 2013 Memphis Grizzlies season. 56 wins go to the Western Conference Finals. It was a very memorable season. So look out for Kevin Leip coming in here to Memphis Hardwood. Marvin, we got to get out of here, my brother.
2: Oh, yeah. We got to get out of here. Go Grizzlies, though.
0: Go Grizzlies, even y'all. in the
2: offseason. Even in the off season, we know
0: they working in the dark and the in the dark, yeah, in in the shady spots, in the sunny spots, they're gonna be ready, y'all, come the uh, beginning of this season. So, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks to our guest, Michael Sheffield. Thanks to Marvin Stockwell. We appreciate y'all. We'll see you next time on Memphis.